Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Episode 536. My name is Paul Garcia and I am the host of the Spurs cast. Joining me in studio for this round one Spurs playoff preview is Project Spurs' Colin Reed. How are you doing, Colin? Doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well, Colin. So, you know, 82 games have come and gone. The Spurs went 48 and 34. They didn't quite get 50 wins, but they did do better than last year in terms of, um, you know, getting one win better uh, than last year's team. They ended up as a seven seed this year, and they're going to be playing the Denver Nuggets on the road uh, to open the playoffs. So, um, so Colin, so, so we're not just real quick. Uh, just you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but kind of just what were your your thoughts on the season, just the regular season for the Spurs? So I can't remember because it's so long ago. I think when I came on here and we did the prediction, I actually think forty eight and thirty four is exactly where I landed. I'd oh wow! Have to go back and check, but yeah. I think that there were, and even doing that. There were some higher highs and lower lows than I thought. I think that that was kind of the understanding is that this this team was going to be one that had a higher ceiling and potentially a lower floor than last season's. But that was even more extreme maybe than I thought. And I don't think anyone would have expected Derek White to be as important as he was. Uh, but he's definitely solidified himself as like part of their young core. So I think that all in all, you know, 50 is a nice number that people like, and it's a number that the Spurs hit a billion times. But I think a playoff berth for where this team started the season is a success. Yeah, I, you know, it, for me, it was really incredible the fact that, you know, the Spurs and Rockets both impressed me this year. Just the fact that, you know, by like early December, we thought these two teams were headed in the, in the, in the, in the worst direction. You know, they were right there in the 14th, 13th in the standings out west, looking like lottery teams to the point where like I was actually having to do research on lottery odds for the Spurs at one point. And then, you know, like, like we said, like, you know, they lost DeJounte Murray in the year. They, they had the, the, the point guard issue with Derek White where he got hurt too. You know, a lot of different issues. Pau Gasol was supposed to be a rotation player. Then he gets hurt. Uh, then when he comes back, that doesn't work out. They kind of bring in Jakob. They bring in DeMar. All these new players uh, that had him in part of the system. And, you know, Pop puts together another good team. Uh, obviously, this is, this is a, a very different built Spurs team because of the fact that the one thing they've always been able to, to, to hang their hat on is defense. And this is the one thing that this team has kind of been missing. Pop has over the over this whole season basically made comments about how the defense is there sometimes it's it's not there most times so it's really about consistency and, and you know that's kind of going to be the in my opinion it's going to be the, the, whether they succeed or, or go down in the playoffs here is how much of that defense is consistent on a nightly on a nightly basis in these playoffs um, so yeah so, so you know it's a pretty good season for the Spurs we'll we'll see now what happens as they, uh, they get ready to go into the playoffs and, and luckily for them they did draw a really good part of the bracket. Now again, they'd have to beat Denver first. But if they were to pass Denver, uh, you know, they, they it, it stacks up pretty well for them in the three six matchup who they faced. Uh, and then they they wouldn't, you know, if they could win that second round, well, then they they wouldn't have to play uh, Golden State until 
the conference finals, uh, you know, assuming the Warriors would get there. So let's first begin, though, with, with what's in front of the Spurs. And their first test is the um, Denver Nuggets. Now, the Spurs are obviously the, the underdog in the series. They're not, they're not the favorite, even though a lot of Spurs fans, I had put an initial just instant reaction kind of Twitter poll, and like it was like almost 70-30 in favor of the Spurs. Whereas nationally and, and you know, Las Vegas-wise, it doesn't look like as many people are going to pick the Spurs in this series. So let's go ahead and jump off right off the bat, Colin, and uh, let's, let's jump into these lineups of who, of who these two teams play. Uh, the Spurs have a core nine rotation um, of, of starting group of Derek White, Bryn Forbes, DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Jakob Pertle. Off the bench, they have Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, Rudy Gay, and Davis Bertens. On the flip side for the Nuggets, they have uh, starting Jamal, Jamal Murray, uh, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. Coming off the bench for them is Monty Morris, uh, Malik Beasley, Tory Craig, and Mason Plumlee. Uh, what do you, what what just um, let's let's start off with the guards first, okay? So let's, let's so those are those are basically Spurs cast listeners, the, the the rotation players that these teams are are expecting to play. Now, now other players can be thrown into the fold, you know, depending on different matchups, like somebody like uh, uh, Hernan Gomez for the Nuggets or, or Isaiah Thomas, or just some of those players. Whereas the Spurs could maybe bring in somebody like Dante Cunningham. Or if it went really extreme, probably really wanted to experiment, go with Lonnie Walker the fourth, you know, who's, who's seen some action lately. But for now, those are probably the 18 guys who will be playing consistently in this series. Let's begin uh, uh, with, uh, with with the, with the wing, the guards. Okay, let's start off with the point guards. Uh, so you're probably going to have uh, Derek White versus um, Jamal Murray. Uh, Derek White, uh, usage of 19.6%, Jamal Murray 25% usage. Um, Derek scores 9.9 points, Jamal Murray scores 18.2 points. Um, both guys are, are over three assists a game. Uh, both guys are about three over three point seven rebounds. Um, both both average over about a turnover. D- Jamal averages is two turnovers. Both get steals. Um, so looking at their shooting splits, Derek shooting forty eight percent from the floor, thirty four percent from three, and seventy seven percent from the from the free throw line. Murray is shooting forty four percent from the floor, thirty seven percent from three, and he's a high volume three point shooter. So he's dangerous off those screens that the Spurs sometimes give up in terms of those above the break threes, and then 85% from the uh, free throw line. What do you think about that first point guard matchup? So I think that there are a couple X factors in the series. If the Spurs want to have a chance to be in the series, if the Spurs want to have a chance to be in it at all, and I think the first one really is how well White plays on defense. And I think Murray is a huge part of that. You know, he, he is – I honestly don't watch the Nuggets too much, but just from what I know, he's probably definitely their second-best player. I think that one of the skills that White has on defense, and this is something you've talked about, is his ability to fight around screens. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, like, vital in this series against a player like Murray. So, obviously, I think that Murray is going to be a bigger offensive threat than uh, Derek will be. But I don't think that's what Derek is going to be asked to do. But I think if, if Derek can throw Jamal Murray off of his offensive game at all, I think that's that's one of the ways that the Spurs can be competitive in this series. Yeah, and, and for me, what I, what I'm really going to watch for is what I just told you, which is that the Spurs like to you know give up that that above the break three, which is having Jakob drop on screens, having Lamarcus drop, and so if, if Murray's shooting 37, percent you know that's really going to make Pop think you know should I keep going with this route or maybe change up my defense, and then that becomes obviously an issue for the Spurs because they're not their, their defense has, it really doesn't have a lot going for them. But, you know, if, if the Nuggets were to put that kind of pressure with Murray shooting from the outside, I think that's something to watch. Now, he's not a player, Murray, luckily. He's not a guy who gets a lot of contact, goes to the rim. He doesn't get a lot of free throw attempts. So that's something that will work in Derek's favor and the Spurs' favor. So they really just got to watch his jump shooting. And if his jumper's falling, then he could make them rethink their defense. Uh, I agree with you. Where I, for right now, I don't think White has to be that dominant scorer. 
you know, he can do it. Like you saw in that closing game against the Mavs on the regular season where, you know, the Spurs were about to lose that game or let the Mavs come back. And White hit, you know, had like set like five or five like points in like seven, you know, their last seven points real, real quickly. Uh, he had some big baskets. So that is something to watch. Let's move over to, let's move, move over to the next matchup, probably out in the starting lineup. Uh, and this one I'm a little curious. Who do you think is going to guard Brent Forbes? Or do you think they'll put Brent Forbes on? Do you think they'll put him on Will Barton or Gary Harris? That is that is a good question. I feel like don't you think Harris is the better defender out of those two, out of Barton, or what do you think? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so so then I, so I assume they'll put then Harris on DeRozan mm-hmm. since he's obviously the Spurs' best offensive player from the wing. And so okay, so let's look at it this way. Let's look at Forbes versus um, uh, Will Barton in the starting lineup. So usage percentage, uh, Forbes is not a high usage guy, sixteen point eight percent. Barton is a little bit higher, twenty point four percent. Both guys average about eleven points. You know, almost twelve points both of them if you if you round them out. Uh, both get about over two assists. Both uh, Barton's a better rebounder just by two rebounds. Both turn over the ball once per game. Uh, Bryn is just a lights-out shooter that we've seen this, at this year. 46% from the floor, 43% from three. Barton, 40% from the floor. Not, a, not you know He's kind of right on the cusp of being a, a, a league average three-point shooter, 34%. But you know just in my mind, I never do trust him whenever I, I see his shot going up from three. I trust more of his mid-range game. Uh, and then... Uh, but you know, Bryn's obviously a better free throw for, free, free throw uh, shooter, but Barton gets the line probably more so. What do you think about this matchup with Barton and, and Forbes? Yes, I think it's going to be important for Forbes to keep Barton in front of him uh, because, like you said, I think he looks to drive more than he does to shoot. Barton does, so I think obviously Forbes is a great shooter. So I think that if they do put Barton on Forbes, they're going to kind of run Barton through the gauntlet and have a bunch of off ball screens, a bunch of weak side action to get to get Forbes freed up for a shot. And I think that's definitely a strategy they should be employing. Uh, and obviously it's not going to be their main offensive weapon, but I do think it'll be one that they can be effective for them. But I, I do think, like I said, on the other side, uh, guarding uh, Barton's threes won't be of a big of a deal for Forbes as much as, like I said, just keeping him in front of him when Barton does tend to drive. You mentioned the mid-range. I mean, we might get to this eventually, but, but that's one of the other problems with the, the drop defense that the Spurs do play is that it's designed to give up mid-range. You know, we saw that in that series against the Rockets a couple years ago. But percentile-wise, compared to the rest of the league, uh, the mid-range is actually the Nuggets' like best area. They, they're like sixth in accuracy in the mid-range uh, of the whole league. So that drop defense might have problems in other areas, and I think that's, this is another matchup, that Forbes-Barton matchup, where... If the Spurs have Forbes chase them over the screen and have the big drop back, they could pay for that uh, with the the shots they give up in the mid-range just because the Nuggets are such a good mid-range shooting team. For sure, and I agree with you there. Where um, you know it's really going to be on Forbes to to try to limit Barton's penetration as much as possible because, like like we said, he averages almost three assists plus he's scoring almost twelve points per game. So when you put that together, it's almost like eighteen points he's providing on offense. So so Brand does have a, a a tough assignment ahead for him uh, in that matchup against Barton, and of course. For Barton guarding Brins, it's going to come down to you know how much does he help off of Brin because that's kind of where Brin gets almost all his shots is is uh, is uh, when DeRozan penetrates when Lamarcus you know gets double teamed and they move the ball around and they find Brin he's just a spot up shooter and you now he can drive a little bit you know with that mid range and that little floater that he has but it's specifically his outside shooting where he gets most of his points from um, yeah and feel free to incorporate all all those stats I don't want to go to every single stat here today but you know that's good to to, to bring those in. Uh, let's look at the next matchup. So now we're going to assume that uh, Gary Harris will be the one guarding DeMar DeRozan. Okay, so so this is an interesting matchup here. So the DeRozan, uh, you know, he's obviously the highest usage player for the Spurs. He's, he's their main playmaker, 30.6% usage. Harris, 19.1%. Um, 
DeRozan averages 21 points per game. Harris averages about 13. Uh, DeRozan gives the Spurs six assists per game and six rebounds. Harris gives the Nuggets about three rebounds and about two assists. Uh, DeRozan turns the ball over about three times per game. Harris only one turnover, and then both guys get about one steal. Um, DeRozan this year is shooting 48% from the floor and 83% from the free throw line. We know he's not a three-point threat. He doesn't take threes. Whereas Harris uh, is shooting 42% from the floor, uh, 34% from, from three, which is you know right below league average, and then 80% from the free throw line. But he doesn't get there too often either. So what do you think about this match between DeRozan and Harris? Yeah, so that's another one that I'm watching. You know, my, my assignment for the Spurs throughout the playoff is to look at the opponent's defense against the Spurs. And kind of the thing that I, I was that first came to mind about the Nuggets defending DeRozan, and it'll obviously be true in this matchup, is um, do they give him, when he does that baseline drive where he kicks out to a three-point shooter, are they going to like try to keep his vision from those shooters like open? Like how, how well he is able to see three-point shooters and how open those three-point shooters get when he does those baseline drives, I think will be a huge part of the Spurs offense in this series, whether that is Forbes or uh, Bertans or, you know, any Mills, Bellinelli. So I think that um, I, I'm interested to see how the Nuggets try to handle that. Yeah. Uh, but then beside that, I'm interested to see, because, you know, there are nights where you feel like Drozen is maybe passing too much. And then yeah. there are other nights where you, where you think maybe he's kind of forcing his shots. And then there's other nights where it seems like he knows the perfect combination. And and I, I'm interested to see if we get one or the other of those two or if he's able to kind of get into his groove. And, and something there is, uh, you know, you mentioned how DeRozan's the main guy who creates for the Spurs as outside shooters, you know, Bertans, Forbes, all these guys like we mentioned earlier, Petty Mills. Uh the Nuggets are actually, if you look at the, their defensive stats, are actually really good at taking away the above-the-break threes, uh, those non-corner threes. So they're, they're, they only let opponents shoot 25% of those shots, which is 12th, which is a really good um, defensive ranking. And they're the best team in accuracy, in opponent accuracy, at taking away that shot. So teams only shoot 33% from that shot, the above-the-break three, which is a stat that the Spurs are, I think, second in on their shooting side on, on the offense. So we know the Spurs will take a lot of threes, but that's something interesting that Denver has a scheme already we've seen by the stats where they can take away, you know, they're, they're actually really good at taking away that above the break three. So, so what could happen if they do take away a lot of those good three points, three point shooters from the Spurs like Bellinelli, they lower their percentages like Patty Mills, you know, like Rudy Gay, all those guys that, that, that the Spurs really rely on heavily. So that's definitely something to watch uh, on a DeRozan's. And I, I do want, you know, Harris again is more of a, of a three point shooter outside player. And so, you know, DeRozan does get called a lot, gambling a lot with the Spurs. So you got to, he has to really pay attention to his weak side defense. You know, how far is he, is he going to help out? You know, you know, not losing his man. So, so that's definitely something to watch. And also just getting back on defense and transition uh, is something uh, interesting to watch for DeRozan. All right, Colin, let's go to the next matchup. Uh, and that is LaMarcus Aldridge versus Paul Millsap, most likely at the four. Uh, Aldridge is obviously a playmaker for the Spurs, 25.5% usage. Millsap is at 18.8%. Uh, so his his um, amount of responsibility in the offense, you know, compared to the years that he was in Atlanta, has, has tailed off a little bit as he's gotten older. Aldridge is averaging 21 points per game. Millsap's averaging about 13. Aldridge grabs about nine rebounds. Millsap grabs about seven. Uh, both players average about two assists. Um, each guy averages over a turnover. Um, they, uh, Millsap is better at stealing the ball, 1.2 steals, whereas Aldridge is better at protecting the paint with 1.3 blocks. Aldridge is shooting 52% from the floor and 85% from the free throw line. We know he's not a three-point threat as, as well like DeRozan, whereas Millsap is uh, shooting 48% from the floor, 
He doesn't take a lot of threes. He's not a high volume shooter, but he shoots it all. I think I think the last stats showed about two two a game. So, uh, but he's making them pretty well. He's making them at thirty seven percent clip, and then seventy uh, percent for the free throw line. What do you think about this matchup? So, for both of these uh, players, I actually think that that I'm interested to see how much double teams will come into play, but yes. in different ways. So. I'm interested to see how often the Nuggets double-team Aldridge, so how often they bring over um, either one of the wings or Jokic. Um, and then kind of the opposite, I'm interested to see if the Spurs double-team Jokic, and then if so, uh, are the Nuggets able to make them pay? Will most have be open for a three? But, you know, I think that Aldridge is uh, best on defense around the paint. And I think that pulling them out to the perimeter, if, if he is guarding Millsap and if that's what Millsap does, that is definitely, you know, he's not as good at guarding uh, on the perimeter as he is at the rim. So I do think that one of Millsap's strengths, and even if he's not shooting that many, just his ability to knock it down and the Spurs have to respect that, uh, kind of goes into Aldridge's weakness on defense. So I, I think that'll be interesting to see how often they try to play into that or how often he's open from three because the Spurs are trying to double Jokic. Okay, and, and one thing I wanted to point out, you know, that was, that was a good observation, is I, I really do think that Denver's, you know, you're going to see them be, because I don't think he can guard him one-on-one, uh, Millsap can guard Aldridge one-on-one, should I say, uh, as I'm looking at that matchup. So, uh, one note to, to note about Denver's defense is they're not really good at protecting the paint or, you know, playing inside. Uh, in terms of frequency, they allow opponents to shoot 38% of their shots, which is 24th um, ranked from, 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 the, from, the, from the rim. And then sh- uh, teams shoot 63% on them at the rim, which is about average. So, I feel like there's there's an area right there that the Spurs can exploit by having DeRozan, you know, attack the paint, having Aldridge be a little bit more physical, not not just relying on his on his mid-range jumper, you know, getting, you know, we've seen Aldridge do that where he uses that little jump hook and really gets physical with guys puts his shoulder into them. And so if he, if he can do that against Millsap and be pretty effective, I really feel like then of course that's going to send there's going to be some double teaming action toward him and that obviously gets the defense moving and that favors the Spurs as long as they're hitting their jump shots and the Nuggets aren't aren't making all the rotations. So um, you know, again, I, I go with you there. I think Aldridge has the advantage offensively. He has a huge responsibility to, to, to produce for the Spurs, to play make for them. Uh, whereas Millsap, you know, it's more you know, spreading out the floor for Jokic and all these guys and Jamal Murray and those kind of guys. Let's go to the next matchup, and this is uh, the, the center matchup, which is going to be Nikola Jokic most likely versus Jakob Pertl. So Pertl is a low usage kind of player, 12.2% usage. Per, uh, Jokic is very high, 29.5%. Um, Pertle only averages about six points per game. Jokic averages twenty. Um, Jokic uh, grabs eleven rebounds. Pertle grabs five. Uh, Jokic is almost like DeRozan. He actually has more assists than DeRozan. He's a playmaker. Seven point three assists per game. You know, Jokic as a center, and then uh, you know, Pertle's not expected to do that for the Spurs. One point two assists. Pertle shoots sixty five percent. You know, mostly by the rim. We know it's all just layups and dunks, and then fifty three percent at the free throw line. If he does get fouled, not a good free throw shooter. Uh, Jokic turns the ball over 3.1 times and gets 1.4 steals. Jokic is shooting 51% from the floor this year, 31% from three. So not so he he will take it. I think he takes almost like three a game, but it's not you know right now it's not falling at a great rate in terms of the season data. And then 82% from the free throw line, which he is a good three, free throw shooter. So obviously we know that Jokic is the, is the better player here offensively in this matchup. What did the Spurs got to do to slow him down or limit him? Yeah, so I talked about White being kind of one of the X factors for the Spurs if they want to stay competitive. For me, the other one was definitely Pirtle uh, because I think that, you know, he's not going to stop Jokic, but if he can yeah. play him well enough that the Spurs don't have to double Jokic, I think that's such a huge benefit. Um, you know, I, I think that the the White-Pirtle pick-and-roll, the DeRozan-Pirtle pick-and-roll will be 
one of the plays that we see pretty frequently with these lineups that you're talking about here because they're going to want to get uh, Jokic involved in any sort of yes, action like that. For sure. Um, so Pirtle on offense, his role necessarily won't be to score a bunch, even though in those pick and rolls he can finish at the rim when they need him to. But it's going to be being a good screener and getting Jokic involved in the uh, in the defense. So I think that you know his defense on Jokic, Jokic is still going to do what he does. Yeah. But if he can if he can play him well enough, then that then that really gets the Spurs into the series, kind of like uh, White on Murray. Okay, yeah, and, and you know one thing that favors the Spurs is that they don't give up a lot of shots at the rim. That's actually what they're really good at defensively. One of their, their few elite areas on defense. They only they only allow thirty three percent of the opponent's shots to come at the rim, which is third. Uh, however, when opponents do get to the rim, they're they're making sixty three percent of those shots, which is about eighteenth, which isn't very good. So I think that what, what I'm what I'm trying to say here is that as long as the Spurs don't have to send those double teams on those Jokic post ups, and they could try to let Perto handle them as much as they can one on one, it really helps the Spurs because the minute the Spurs have to start double teaming and kind of scrambling on defense, that's when you see them get picked apart a lot by other teams just because they don't have that communication. They don't have that ground defense like like past first teams have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, so I think that's a huge part. Jokic does like to operate a lot from the elbows. So I do want to see how much Pop makes Pirtle kind of just kind of just kind of be in his in his in his space, be in his vicinity, kind of not letting him like kind of scout the floor, see which kind of backcuts he wants to make or, or plays above the arc. Um, so so and I, and if I was the Spurs, I would just at least try for initially to kind of make it hey say make this three if you know if they're going to do like you know those pick and rolls up top, you know make him make him try to beat them first, make him make them show that it's going to be a, you know a devastating shot for them before you know before abandoning that scheme that they have of Aldridge and Jokic you know dropping back so. So that's kind of the matchup to watch there. And you're right, I didn't think about that too for the Spurs, is how much are they going to target Jokic? So, so that, that's an interesting thing because you know DeRozan's going to be ready to do that. You know Rudy Gay's going to want to try that as well. So that's going to be on, and even even Derek White too, you know, you know how much can the Spurs exploit his defense um, and, and try to use that to their, to their as a positive. Okay, Colin, now let's go to the bench here. Um, let's go look at, uh, first let's look at one of the Spurs' key playmakers, and that's Rudy Gay off the bench. Um, his usage percentage uh, is about 22.1%. Uh, he averages 13.7 points, 6.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 1.7 turnovers. He's shooting 50% from the floor, 40% from three, really good. But we know that he's he kind of, with this three-point shot, it's more so if it gets wide open or if he needs to take it, he'll take it. It's not like a, a high-volume three-point shot. And then 82% from the free throw line. Now, I don't know who exactly would, guard, would, would match up with Gay at this moment. So just for now, I'm kind of just putting Torrey Craig there. Uh, he's going to be playing off the bench for the Nuggets. Uh, his his usage is really low, 12%. Uh, scores 5.7 points, 3.5 rebounds, 1 assist. Shoots 44% from the floor, 32% from 3. So not, it's not a great 3-point shooter right now. And then 70% from the free throw line. What do you think about Rudy Gay's? Um, you know, he's obviously the better player in terms of offensive repertoire for this matchup. What do you think about that? Right. I, I think one of the improvements year over year that we have seen uh, from Rudy is, is his improvement on defense. You know, I think that, that was one of the... Uh, we know that, that he was benched sometime last year when he feels like he should have been on the floor, uh, and, and defense was a part of that maybe. And so I think that that is an area where he has improved. So I think that this is another series where uh, that might test him because I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, that, that Nuggets bench uh, has some other pretty good three-point shooters on there. So I'm interested to see how much like off-the-ball action they run and try to get kind of that involved. So it might not be a straight-up, like how good is he in that matchup defensively uh, as much as it is how, how good is he in kind of not allowing that action to get him uh, taken too far out of the play or anything. But like you said, obviously on offense, the Spurs are really going to 
need him uh, to produce, especially in the moments where he is on the floor against Jokic, where he said he's, he's going to try to get the def- uh, Jokic involved on defense and, and just kind of taking those open shots. Um, you know, you were talking about how good the Nuggets are against above-the-break threes, uh, but it looks like that's less true against corner threes, where the Spurs yes, I was wondering have that. the... I believe the Spurs have, like, the best... Um, they're the most accurate. Yeah, they're the most accurate yeah, from from corner. the corner three, right? So, so I think that that's going to be a big part of of, and this is uh, just anecdotal, but I feel like that's where Rudy shoots a lot of his threes from memory. <laughs> yeah. At least uh, last night, I remember taking one or two from there. So, I think that that hitting that open three is going to be big for the Spurs and kind of keeping the floor spaced, uh, but then also kind of taking the ball to the hole when he needs to. Yeah, and I really feel like Rudy has a lot of different matchups with his size that he can kind of exploit, you know, even when they, you know, teams, when, when it's, you know, the, the ball's rushed down the floor or, uh, you know, Spurs run a pick and roll. Like I said, he can try to take Jokic off the dribble. He can try to get, um, uh, you know, Court Craig. He can try to get Harris, Barton, all these kind of guys and, and post the position and kind of run a pick and roll off them. Um, even the even the, the other players like like, uh, like Morris, uh, uh, Monty Morris. So, so there's a lot of different advantages. Where I think Rudy Gay has 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 an advantage a lot of times against any of those players on the Nuggets, where he can exploit them. And this is kind of something now that we've gone through um through, through Derek White, through DeRozan, through Aldridge, through um, Rudy Gay. This is something that I wanted to kind of talk about, which is that we're really going to see two different styles of offense here. We have, you know, the Spurs offense is more of that old school one on one basketball, where it's uh, you look at their assisted made baskets. They're only assisting as a team on 58 percent of their makes, which is 22nd. Uh, passes per game. The Spurs only throw about 281 passes, which is 27th, which is very rare for a pop coach team to be so low in passes per game. And then, um, whereas the Nuggets on the flip side, they uh, assist, uh, you know, assist percentage. Look at this, 65%, which is second best in the league. So they definitely move the ball, get, score mostly all their baskets off made, made off assists. Passes per game, 309 passes per game, which is seventh in the league. So, so we're really going to see a battle of two different styles of offense where you have the Spurs team who, who I would say has the better one-on-one players when you talk about DeRozan, Aldridge, Rudy Gabe, and Derek White sometimes versus this Nuggets team who does who does better off cuts, off screens, off ball movement, penetration with uh, with Jokic and, uh, and and Jamal Murray. Is you're pretty much your main two playmakers. What do you think about that, just the stylistic difference? Yeah, I think, you know, defense has been the struggle for the Spurs all season, as we've talked about. And I think that when you talk about uh, a team that passes as much as they do and cuts and has this off-ball movement, I think that what comes to mind for me is the discipline. Yeah. Uh, this will test their defensive discipline. And this is this sounds like something a high school coach would say, but one of the changes I have seen since the All-Star break, uh, and maybe it's been happening all along, but I've just been watching for it more, has been when an opponent does make a basket, you can see... Uh, whoever's taking the ball out to throw it in is upset. Like, there's more pride now yeah. in terms of getting scored on than I feel like there was at the beginning of this season. So, and then we talked about it, I think, the last time I was on the podcast about how DeRozan is getting pretty good at when when a team is making a cross-court pass to the wing on the weak side, like getting into that passing lane and stealing the ball there. Yeah. So I think that kind of stuff, getting their hands into passing lanes, kind of... Um, just bothering what they're trying to do. I think making them try to play... I think that that's kind of always been the Spurs' best strategy, basically, for all time. So even though you were saying like they're not passing like Spurs teams normally yeah. do, I feel like the Spurs' strategy has always been try to make our opponent play like us, and we'll yes. just play that style better. 
And I feel like that's true here, too. If they can disrupt them and kind of tr- try to make them play straight up, try to make them play in the mid-range, even though they're good in the mid-range, try to make them be an ISO one-on-one team, which they won't do all the time, if they can do that enough, they do have a chance. Yeah, and, and you know, this is something that I talked about a few weeks ago when the Spurs were kind of clicking during that nine-game win streak, was that the fact that, like, in a way, having that one-on-one ISO-type scoring situation, especially in the playoffs, is, is I think it's, I think it's a better format because that's kind of what it comes down to is, you know, who are the best players and who's making the plays down, down at the end of the game. And I really feel like the Spurs do have a lot more of those players right now in this series that, that have that, that type of repertoire. So I, I really feel that that might favor them. Again, it's going to all come down to defense. We're going to get to that, that part a little bit on, on both these teams. Uh, if the Spurs can't play any defense in the series, then they're just going to get torched and it's going to be over. You know, they're going to have a chance. So um, we'll see there. Let's keep going down the, the some of the matchups, so the individual matchups. Uh, let's look at the uh, the bench, the point guards, the backup point guards, should I say. Uh, you, for the Spurs, you have Patty Mills, and for the Nuggets, you have Monty Morris. Both guys, uh, playmaking-wise, they're about uh, 18, over 18% usage each, almost identical. Patty score, scores almost 10 points. Monty scores 10 points, basically. Uh, both get over three assists. Both get over two rebounds. Uh, Patty turns it over 1.1 times. Uh, both shoot well. Patty shooting 43% from the floor, 39% from three, high volume shooter, 85% from the free throw line. Morris is shooting 49% from the floor, 41% from three, uh, you know, a pretty good um, volume of threes also, and then uh, 80% from the free throw line. What do you think about this matchup? For, on stats, it almost looks like they, they kind of just yeah. contribute of the, of the same for their teams. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like, you know, um, Morris is a slightly better shooter, uh, at least percentage-wise. So, so that will be an interesting matchup to see kind of who can produce more off the bench because I think that the, the Nuggets bench has been a strength for them all season long. So I think that bench v. bench matchup, the whole series will be important, but I think with them being so similar stat-wise, um, I think kind of seeing which one is able to produce a little bit more will actually have a greater impact than you might have imagined just because of how close they are. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I agree with you there. Let's let's go into the next matchup, and that's uh, kind of Marco Bellinelli versus against like uh, Malik Beasley. I was calling Michael. <laughs> I told you I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Malik Beasley. Uh, both guys, uh, you know, not not high usage guys. Um, Beasley is at sixteen point two percent usage. Belly's at seventeen point nine. Uh, both guys score over ten points. Belly's at about eleven. Uh, Beasley's right at eleven point three. Uh, both guys get about two and a half rebounds. Bo- uh, both average over an assist. Uh, Belly shooting 41% from the floor, 37% from three, a very high volume three-point shooter, 90% free throw. Beasley is shooting 47% from the floor, a good three-point shooter as well, 40% accuracy, and he will shoot threes. You know, that's one of his things. I think he shoots almost five a game. Uh, and then 85% from the free throw line. What do you think about this matchup? Yeah, it's, it's another matchup where they kind of look similar. Yeah, almost like everything like matches up, aligns. Right, yeah, and, and that's, you know, there have been... So I feel like the stats maybe don't always tell the story with with any player, but you yeah. know Bellinelli, I feel like he started the season shooting and it was pretty rough, uh, and then he had a good stretch, and then now he's kind of returned to average. And so it's it's one of the, another one of those things where um, how well he's shooting will really determine his impact on the court. You know, I mean he's not he, he's going to get back and he's going to try to get into position. You know, I think that his value is less on the defensive side as much as it is if he's not hitting shots and the defense can like kind of sag off of him and pack the paint, that, that becomes a big problem. But if he's hitting them at at least an average or an above average rate, then he's at least doing what the Spurs ask him. So um, I think that that will be the big thing to watch from this matchup, you know. Uh, I, I'm not as familiar with Beasley's game, but I, I do think that, you know, they're going to need uh, Bellinelli to hit his open shots. And if he's not, that's where they get into a little bit of trouble. 
one thing these two guys can each do, and I've seen it, you know, this year from obviously we know Bellinelli because you and I cover him more more so, and I've seen Beasley do it a few times too, especially in that most recent Spurs game at Denver, is they can just get hot at it like really quickly and make like three or four threes in a row, and then all of a sudden a game becomes like from two to like you know nine or, or twelve just really fast because of these guys. They get the crowd ignited, you know, depending where, where they're playing. So I really feel like that they're kind of like I don't want to say X factors because I really feel you know. But they're the kind of guys that can just shift momentum with just their, their playmaking, especially their outside shooting. So I think that's kind of where where they're most important for each of their teams is you know who can get kind of get get hot uh, at a certain moment in the game and kind of just shift the momentum of that game uh, going forward. So that's kind of what, what those guys can both do. Uh, let's look at the, uh, the last two players that I have here. Um, you know they won't probably won't guard each other specifically, but kind of just you know they're they're in the they're in the rotation as like the night spot is. Um, Davis Bertans for the Spurs and and, um, and um, Plumlee from the uh, Nuggets. No, I forgot. Is he Mason or Mar- or Marshall? I forgot. It's Mason, right? I think it's Mason. Yeah, it's Mason. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> Plumlee brothers. So anyway, it's it's. Uh, I just wrote Plumlee. That's why. So uh, so anyway, Bertans and Plumlee. Uh, Bertans, you know, very low usage player, twelve point seven percent usage. Plumlee's at seventeen point one percent. Bertans averages eight points. Three and a half rebounds, one point three assists. Uh, he shoots forty five percent from the floor. A high volume three point shooter, making forty three percent of his threes. Very accurate. Eighty eight percent from the free throw line. Plumlee is more of a, a, a rim runner type player. Seven point eight points, six point four rebounds, um, three assists, one and a half turnovers. Shoots fifty nine percent from the floor and fifty six percent from the free throw line. Doesn't um, kind of like Jakob doesn't take a lot, doesn't take any threes. So so the Spurs don't have to worry about him and that and that factor. Now again, I don't think they're going to guard each other, but again, these are two guys that will come off the bench to give their their big men some some relief. Uh, what do you think about those two guys, just individually? Yeah, I, I think you know for Bertans, I think you know he's at one point was like the second best shooter by percentage, uh, three point percentage in the league, and then last night I believe on the telecast they, they said he's fallen to sixth. Oh, okay. Which tells me that from the time he went from second to sixth, that's been a pretty rough stretch over that time. So I think. You know, he's hit some big shots in key moments, but, you know, he hasn't shot the same as he did at the beginning of the year. But when, when you're talking about uh, someone who can come off the bench and, like, change the momentum of the game, I, I think of that Milwaukee game in Milwaukee that the Spurs played in where they were down uh, a pretty healthy margin at the beginning of the game and it looked like it would be a blowout. And he came in and immediately hit, like, two or three shots and, and kind of got the Spurs back into it. So we, we know that he's, he's capable of doing that. Um, and, and like you talked about it, I think for Plumlee, with one of the Spurs' strengths being keeping opponents from shooting at the rim and and playing that drop style of defense, I think that's best to neutralize a player like this uh, to kind of keep him from scoring and keep him from from doing what he's comfortable doing. Uh, so so they like you said they might have to change up their defense because of the other players, but if they do keep it that way, you know that's the type of play style that that really plays into the Spurs' defense. I think something to watch with San Antonio for Plumlee is, uh, you know, that San Antonio is an excellent um, offensive rebounding um, defensive, you know, on the defense side, not allowing offensive rebounds, should I say. They only allow 24% of the opponent's misses to be offensive rebounded, which is fifth best in the league, which is an elite skill. But again, now that you're playing a team with Jokic and Plumlee here, even Millsap's a scrappy player, uh, I think that you definitely got to watch that part of the, of the Spurs game, especially even though Denver's about a league average uh, three-point shooting team in terms of volume. You do got to watch that, you know, just not giving the, the, the Nuggets those second chance, uh, you know, the second opponent, those second chance points or opportunities. Uh, and then again, Pompey's off the bench. He's grabbing six, six rebounds a game. Um, okay, let's let's look through, uh, just kind of just go through each each section um, of the, just the overall team makeup for these teams. Um, scoring, the Spurs are about, you know, basically we've gone through this. They're an elite offense on almost every metric. Uh Let's see here. Um, the Denver's basically uh, they're the lead offense also, but most of their metrics are like average and good range. Nothing's really too too terrible. 
Um, they're non they're, they're non corn they're non corner threes. The above the break threes that we said that the Spurs might give up. They're not a great shooting team at that Denver. They only shoot thirty five percent of those twentieth. Um, bench points are almost about even. Fast break points. Uh, I, I really thought Denver for some reason. I think that Denver plays super fast and like gets up and down the court. But they only score when you look at fast break points. They only score two more points than the Spurs in the fast break. So they're, they're actually about an average fast break team in terms of scoring. Uh, is there in the scoring section, Colin? Is there anything that sticks out to you from these, this matchup or not? We can move. Yeah, I think um, you know they're both. You know, you have fifth and seventh in offensive rating. So I think they're both high powered offenses. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think there's any surprise there. I guess, I guess, like you said, when you when you are having a playmaking big man, when you're playing through a big man, I guess you know when you get out and run, you know they're probably very efficient in scoring there. But in the half court, it does slow it down when you're trying to play through uh, a center. Yeah. <laughs> so so I guess it's one of those things where when when they're running, they're going, but but the rest of the time it is going to probably be a little bit slower. Okay, let's look at um, where they take their shots from. So so the, so their shooting is obviously different. The Spurs' the shooting is different from almost every probably every playoff team here. Uh, they're obviously we know how San, Antonio, how San Antonio's built. They're the, they're the number one frequency sh- sh- shooting team in terms of the mid range. They take forty seven percent of their shots come from the mid range. Uh, they get to the free throw line about they're about eighteenth in free throw rate. Now the Spurs are a really good shooting team in terms of um, accuracy. They do they do make a lot of their shots uh, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, whereas the Denver, you know, they actually don't get to the rim as much as I, I thought they did. They're they're twenty first in terms of rim uh, frequency. On offense, uh, they actually do, like you mentioned earlier, they actually, they're actually one of the surprising teams that does, you know, if they're, they're saying, if you give us mid-range shots, we'll take them. You know, we're not going to look for them, but if you give them to us, we'll take them, which, like you said, is something that the Spurs' defense is built on doing, is allowing mid-range jumpers. So we'll see how that fares for the Spurs and whether or not they change their mindset. Uh, Denver's about average in getting threes. I thought they would have been higher, but they, they're not. And then free throw-wise, they're actually worse than the Spurs against the free throw line. Uh, they don't get there as much as they don't have a lot of players that get to the free throw line as much either. Um, is there anything you want to talk about from the from their shot locations? Yeah, I think you know. Um, I think with the Nuggets not taking many free throws and the Spurs being such a disciplined team on giving up free throws, I, I think that that's going to play into that a lot. Uh, and they'll they'll probably even be below what their season average was, which I think is is really good for the Spurs because I think you know when when you do put teams on the line. Another consequence of that is it's easier for the other team to get set up in the half court. You know, you're for not sure. able to like race them down the court and try to try to break down the defense before everyone gets there. So I, I think you know there, there's little things on offense that I think can help the Spurs on defense. Um, and I think you know shot location is one of them too. You know, if if teams are taking a bunch of above the break threes, you know that's closer to the other side. So I, I think forcing them into the mid range will be helpful there too. But you know, I. I I think you mentioned this. I'm kind of surprised, just kind of thinking about how high-powered the Nuggets offense is, kind of how good of three-point shooters they do have. I am a little bit surprised looking at their frequency kind of up and down the line. I would have imagined it would be much higher in terms of threes taken. You know, they'd be much higher than 15th in the league. But but other than that, I don't, I don't think so, anything too surprising. I want to go back to something on scoring that I did want to bring up. I forgot. I just thought again. So, look at this half-court points per play. Okay, half-court points per play. The Spurs are elite here. They score 100 points per 100 possessions in the half-court, fourth ranked. Denver, interestingly, only scores 95.3 points per 100, which is about 14th, which is about average. So, I mean, that's about a five-point gap there, and that's pretty significant. So, that's actually something the Spurs should look at there is... If you know, like we said, they don't run a lot the Nuggets as much as we thought they did. But if you just specifically try to get them in a slower paced game in the half court, this is going to favor San Antonio's offense. Yeah, yeah, and you know, this is something that uh, 
Uh, I think Nate Duncan had said on the Dunktown podcast back in December or early January when the Spurs were playing, like all of a sudden their defense was really good, their offense was amazing. It, it was it was kind of a thing of like he was saying, well, of course their defense is going to be good if the opponents are like having to set up in the half court every time because the Spurs are making everything. You know, like when when you miss and you just run, that's not happening when the Spurs are making their shots. So it's like weird, but it makes it's intuitive. You know, the more shots the Spurs are making, the less that the Nuggets can just get out and run. Yeah. So so if they're if they are able to keep this up where their half court points per play is around that fourth ranking, you know, that's gonna help their defense a lot. And then I think obviously the other thing is not feeding them easy shots with turnovers. For sure, and that's something I didn't get to go into. We kind of went to the ball movement stats, but that's one of the things is that both of these teams actually do turn the ball over really, really well. Uh, the Spurs uh, are the best uh, team in terms of ball security. They only turn the ball over on 12% of their possessions, which is first. The Nuggets turned it over about 14%, which is not too – it's only 2% higher. So even though it says they're average 13th, it's about only 2%. So both of these teams do – uh, turn, don't turn the ball over, should I say. They're really good at that. And obviously we know by watching the Spurs all year that a lot of their, their losses do come when they have bad offensive nights and they do turn the ball over. So that's something to watch in terms of uh, their, 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 um, their security of the ball and how, how much Denver is uh, going to gamble and kind of be more feisty and physical. That, that really disrupts the Spurs on offense and they do end up getting a lot of turnovers, which leads to losses. Uh, let's shift over to the defense. I'm just kind of looking through some of these numbers um, for both teams. Uh, you know, this is obviously whole season data. So the weird thing about the Spurs is there, there's like two different teams here. There's like, there's that, that early December team that we saw when they wanted that, that winning streak. That, that was like almost like, a, you know, they were, they were, top, they were top five defense. Then they started playing terrible again, you know, after from January to like March, early March. And then from like late, late middle March till about early April, they were again a top five defensive team. So it's almost like which one of these teams is going to show up in this series. And obviously, if it's the one that the stats say, this 20th ranked defense overall, then the Nuggets have a really good chance of winning this. But if it's that Spurs team that showed up twice this year and, and was playing top five level defense, so that was just shattering a lot of these numbers during those stretches, uh, that's something interesting to watch. And, you know, during that, that stretch, though, something to note is that the Spurs have kind of stayed with their same game plan of um, you know, like we said, dropping back on defense, not fouling the opponent, playing a very conservative approach, you know, not gambling too much, giving the mid-range up, just taking away the rim and the free throw line. Uh, and so that's kind of something to watch. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, and it, that, that kind of goes back to uh, Derek White being an X-factor to me because, yes. you know, he missed the beginning of the season, and when he did come in, he, he was not playing nearly as well as he is now. And when he started playing well, I think is, is kind of when that really hit uh, in middle of December, early December. And then again, you know, you're talking about mid-January to, to like March at some point. But really, I think when it hit rock bottom was on the rodeo road trip. And he missed, you know, the first half of that. Um, and, and you look at the, the three rodeo road trip games after, um, after the All-Star break. One of them was the Raptors, which they, the Spurs actually played really close. Another one was the Nets, which they actually played really good defense. They just couldn't make a shot. And then the other one was the Knicks. They played pretty bad. So it really has been when, when Derek has been there and playing at the level that he has been for most of the season, their defense has been pretty good. Um, I, I think the other big part of that is, is kind of home and away, you know. Yeah, that's uh, what I was about to tell yeah. you. That's, that's yeah. a big part of why they're so inconsistent is that they're just – terrible on the road. I mean, that's just kind of what the numbers show. I mean, we've seen it with the eye test. You know, that's kind of where they get blown out a lot on the road. Um, one thing I wanted to, to, to note, too, is the, the fast break point. So the Spurs give up 14 fast break points a game, which is uh, 
about 20th in the league. I mean, defensively, which is not good. The Nuggets only they'll only give they give about 12 points, so it's only about two point difference. So it's not huge there. But I do know that looking at my own spurt, personal stat sheet that I keep on the Spurs, when they give up almost like 20 or more fast break points, they get they get they just get um, that's a lot. A lot of their losses come from that. So I really think that transition defense is huge. Whether the Spurs miss a shot, um, even when the teams make a shot, sometimes they get out and you know out at the ball. So that's something to watch with the Spurs. Um, continuing looking at some of the the shot locations on defense, uh, kind of we've gone kind of gone through the, the philosophy for the Spurs. The Nuggets is a little bit different. Uh, their philosophy on defense, you know, they do give up the rim a little bit more. Like I mentioned, thirty eight percent of opponents' frequency comes from the rim. Um, they guard it pretty pretty decently at an average range rate. They do um, they, they 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 try to take away mid range. Interestingly, the Nuggets only allow twenty eight percent of the opponent's shots come from the mid range. So that's something to watch because. That's obviously the shot we know the Spurs want. They want the mid range. They right. want Lamarcus wants that shot. DeRozan, Rudy Gay, these all these guys want that shot. So that's something to note that that the Nuggets are sixth in taking away the mid range shot. What do you think about that? So this is something that we'd have to watch the film to know for sure. But I wonder if part of that is just because almost all of the other teams don't play the way that the Spurs do, looking for those mid range shots. Yeah, and maybe it's less about they are really good at keeping teams from shooting the range, and it's more about they're they're kind of not great about allowing teams to shoot where they want, and they just happen to to keep the other teams to a good percentage. And obviously, again, that's something we'd have to watch the film to know. Yeah, I wonder sure. if because the Spurs hunt out the mid-range, if, if it would actually be more favorable for them, and a lot of this is just that's the way that the NBA is now, is to shoot uh, free throws, three-pointers, and free uh, yeah. at the rim shots. Exactly. So that's something to watch. You know, obviously, like you said, we, we do need to dig a little bit further into the film and not just rely specifically on these numbers. Uh, another interesting stat that we kind of pointed out earlier was that the Nuggets are actually the worst team in the league in allowing corner threes, and that's a shot that the Spurs do like to find for themselves. The, the, the Nuggets allow about 10% of, of opponent frequency from the corner three. Um, they don't guard it very well either. Uh, and then, like we said, they, they do take away the above the break three. That's a little bit more interesting. Again, that probably goes back to film, you know, watching the film as well and seeing why do they, you know, they're not great at guarding the corner three. And then uh, also, you know, why do they, they allow a lot more mid-range shots? Um, did you have anything else on the shot location of the defense? Or? No, I, I guess kind of like what you're talking about. Is, is that above the break three? Is that just, are they good at denying that period? Or is, is that off the first action? Because, you know, normally when the Spurs are shooting in above the break three, yeah. that's not the first action in the play. So, so that's another interesting yeah. thing to watch is how, how good are the Nuggets at defending the above the break three when it's not like the yeah. initial action? Like in the second action you're right. saying. Yeah, exactly. like... Like uh, once DeRozan penetrates or once LaMarcus kicks it out and gets swung around. Right, right. That's right. something to watch. Okay. That's something interesting. Let's talk about some other stuff that's not really on the score, on the stat sheet, Colin. Um, let's talk about just the coaching. You know, this is something that we can't really measure in numbers. Obviously, we can look at wins and losses. But this is obviously Mike Malone going to his, his first playoff series against Coach Pop, who is the, obviously we know this his resume, you know, a future Hall of Famer. Uh, last night I was at the game with, with Dirk Nowitzki retired, and he called him the GOAT, basically. So, you know, Dirk was obviously had high praise for Pop. So we know that... Pop can be get very tricky. You know, the thing is, he's, he's like, you know, he plays chess sometimes in the playoffs, you know, with the kind of matchups, the philosophies he, he uses. What do you think about that? Just the fact that Malone's in his first playoff series, you know, I think it's his first one ever, right? Probably most likely. I, I didn't get to research, so, so I apologize, first guest listeners, but most likely I think it is. I know that he, he had a funny quote last night when they asked him about it, the, the matchup. Malone said, uh, you know, I have one wedding ring. Pop has five championship rings. Yeah. That's basically the difference in experience here yeah. in this matchup. What do you think about that side, the, the coaching part? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, I'm trying to think of Malone's previous experience. And he, he might have been in the playoffs as an assistant coach, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, he, he was a head coach in Sacramento and he did well there, but he was fired before they yeah, got there. So, so yeah, I, I think that, you know, 
Malone has proven to be a pretty strong coach because of where he's taken this Nuggets team. There has been that improvement year over year. Um, and, you know, now they're the second team that, that for parts of the year has looked really, really strong. But, you know, I kind of go back to that, that Rocket series where you have a strong offense, you have a team that's really good, and, and to tell Spurs fans out there, don't freak out if the first game is like a 30-point loss. Because, again, that's something that <laughs> happened in that Rocket series. Um, and I think that that, that is actually going to be what to watch. You know, the Spurs might lose their first two games on the road. But I think looking at the difference between Game 1 and Game 2 will show, can the Spurs stay competitive in this series? Because I think Game 1 will be kind of that feeling out game. For sure. Um, and, and, you know, even though the Spurs had this, you know, in retrospect, everyone talks about this amazing strategy that Pop employed that, like, completely dismantled the Rockets offense and they won even though a lot of people favored the Rockets. And they, they just completely got run off the floor in the first game. So I think that sometimes those, like you said, those chess moves take time. You know, the real good chess players don't think one move ahead. They think, like, four moves ahead. And so I think that that will be interesting to see, and that will be where Pop's uh, coaching uh, strengths come to show is what they look like in games four, five, and six. But the Spurs have to get there for that strength to show. For sure. And, you know, for, for me, I really want to see what Pop does with Jamal Murray and, and Jokic. Just the fact that they're, they're two young players. They're the, they're the two stars on their team. They're the guys that, that have the most responsibility in offense to create for their team. So, like you said, if they get going in games one and two, how does he adjust? Like how like that that's actually the example I was gonna bring up, which you already brought up, which is that Rocket series a few years ago where, you know, it looked like Harden was unstoppable and then Pop just brings in that, that defensive philosophy of kind of just taking away the rim and, and, and you know dropping back and kind of living with, with those three pointers. And so it was a philosophy that works. So I really want to see how, how he does adjusting to Jokic and figure figuring out a type of chess chess matchup for him. The one thing I'll, I'll give Malone already, I think I think this is one of the kryptonite for the Spurs' offense is, is this, right? If he if he in just case he needs, I don't think he needs a tip. Obviously, he's a coach. <laughs> but one thing that worked really well against San Antonio this year that, that I noticed was there was a few weeks ago there was a Miami Heat in San Antonio. Eric Spolstra ran this three-two zone defense, or it was a two-three, and it seriously mm-hmm. for like a whole half, almost three quarters, it threw the Spurs off. Now, luckily. They made enough threes. Their, their guys, their outside shooters, to, you know, Pel- Patty Mills, Bellinelli, all these kind of guys. Their, their volume three point shooters made enough threes to to, to to kind of keep them in the game and bring them back. And then also, you know, the fourth quarter, the Rose and Rudy Gay, they were able to penetrate Derek White and kind of figure out a way to score enough just to beat the Heat. But if that's if you really want to talk about about really um, messing with the Spurs and t- throwing them off balance on offense, it's throw a zone at them. Why? Because their top three players, even top four with Derek White. DeRozan, Aldridge, Rudy Gay, Derek White, none of these guys want to shoot threes. Mm-hmm. And that's the perfect way. Is you're, is you're, is you're basically, when you're playing that zone, you're taking away the, the rim, you're taking away the mid-range from them, you're not putting them on the free throw line. So what do you think about that in the event that, the, that Malone does it for like, you know, three or four quarters in a game? Yeah, I, obviously the Spurs have really been given trouble by that. Um, and I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Nuggets use it at all. And I haven't watched the Nuggets enough to know if they've used it all season yeah. at all. Uh, I can imagine, you know, I, I think of uh, the zone, and maybe this is incorrect, but I think of the zone as almost, in the NBA, kind of like a desperation defense. Yeah, you know, I think that too. Miami pulled it out, and it worked well against the Spurs. A couple other teams, uh, Charlotte pulled it out, and it worked good against the Spurs, I think, at one point. I remember the Spurs actually pulled it out against the Heat in the finals one of those years, when the Heat was playing really well. So, it, it'll be interesting to see, and I, I do wonder, with a young and inexperienced team, if they try and using a, a defense that they have not practiced all season, if that will be something that it has been effective as it has for these other teams. You know, the Heat is like an extremely disciplined team. 
or, or with that, that youth and inexperience, if trying to do something completely new to throw up the Spurs, will, will throw themselves off instead. So I, I think it's definitely worth trying if the Spurs are getting whatever they have because it has bothered them. But I, I'd be interested to see how well they play the zone. Yeah, and again, I, I do think that, you know, I, I don't know, like, like you said, I don't know how much the, the, the Nuggets have practiced this, how much they have it in, the, in, in their tool bag, but, or in their, in their backup tool bag, should I say. But, you know, you definitely got to know that their scouts have that, that Miami game pegged on, on game film in case they, you know, they do to exploit it. Because they really did. I just remember, you know, that's when you're thinking about the Spurs, it's two things that they want, the rim and they want the, uh, the mid-range. You know, that really puts them in a tough spot because then they have to really rely on their outside shooters to make threes. And that's obviously, you know, most times they do shoot well, but we ask them what happens when the Spurs have a cold shooting night. And with bad defense, you know, it just doesn't end up being um, a, a great combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question is um, the youth. Obviously, you know, Bobby Marks from ESPN.com, he put out a tweet earlier today showing, like, the age range, the average age, should I say, of the, of the, of the eight teams out west. The number one team, the youngest team right now in the playoffs for the west right now are the Nuggets. They're number one. The Spurs came in at number six out of eight, you know, being, in terms of being the eldest. So what do you think about that? The fact that the, this Nuggets team, if I just look at the core guys, I think I can name... Um, let me see who's been in the playoffs probably in their experience. Will Barton played with the Blazers one time in the playoffs, and Millsap played with the uh, with the um, with the, the Hawks, basically. Yeah. He's been in playoff battles. And then I, I don't know if Plumlee ever played with – no, I don't think he was with Brooklyn when, the, when he was there or, or the other team. So I don't – I really just think it's like two guys from their team have playoff yeah. experience. What, how much do you think that's going to factor into the, into the fact that the youthfulness of the Nuggets? Yeah, I think that – a lot of people think that the Warriors kind of skipped this because, you know, I think a lot of the times you look at these young teams and, and you kind of have to go round by round. Each year they're slowly improving. That even happened with the Spurs back in 2011. They lost in, in the first round and they came back. They lost in the conference finals and they came back and lost in the finals and then won. I think that this team building, it sometimes takes this progression, like knowing. And, and obviously that might not equal a first round loss, but I think it, it might show in some of that you know and even even the Warriors they did lose to the Spurs in that second round they upset the Nuggets you know that was their oh is this Warriors team real and then they 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 looked good against the Spurs but they ultimately stopped them so I do think that these young teams you know that might not end up mattering against the Spurs but I do think that youth usually comes into play uh in the later rounds in terms of like playing really experienced teams that have been in the playoffs for a couple rounds they really have their wits about them I think it might show, but it might not show early enough for it to matter for the Spurs. Okay, and I think that's too where, where um, you know home court for the Nuggets is so is so vital that if the Spurs can pull off a game one or two upset, or even like like uh, when they go on the road like in five or possibly seven, you know that that's huge if, if they can get one of those games and really put the the Nuggets, you know those young Nuggets, in, in, in the you know put a, put a lot more pressure on them that they already have. Consider you know there's actually a lot of pressure on them, right? Just the fact that you know, a lot of people do. We're seeing, you know, different polls are going out and different, um, you know, predictions about, you know, that's the one team you want to play if you're if you're one of the teams who wants to pull it upset. And so the Spurs did draw them. Um, so yeah, so that's obviously something to watch too. Is how how you know what, will will Denver step up for this rise for the occasion as being a youthful team, or will it kind of be their hindrance and them fall apart? So for this last last uh, exercise, Colin, I'm gonna give you a pen real quick. We're gonna do something fun here. Let's just let's just see. I, I really want to see, you know, which team, you know, who has the most, I guess, like. Favorable players that, that you would take in a series. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm, I have a name. I have nine spots. Let's say you and I are playing a pickup game. Okay, we're team captains. We're gonna use these these 18 players. Okay, the nine rotation players from each squad. We're gonna basically do a little draft and pick okay. our, our players. And we're gonna see, you know, at the end of this, you know, who basically what team, you know, what team has more players that you'd rather have in terms of that. So I'll give you the first pick. You so every time you pick a player, just scratch them off that list. Okay, and I'll, and I'll write it down. Okay, pick you pick make the first pick. Yeah, I'm gonna pick Jokic first. Okay. Just go on. Oh, okay. I'm gonna go with DeRozan. 
so I, I wanted to get Derozan just for the Jokic Derozan matchup, uh, and I, I don't know how well Aldridge and Jokic would play together. So I'm gonna go with Murray. Yeah. Okay, Jamal Murray. Yeah. Well, you're already taking the Nuggets. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> it starts us off. Okay. Uh, so uh, I'm not really high on this game. So I guess just because you need start, you know, talent. Uh, I'm gonna go with I'll go with Aldridge then. Uh, I, I didn't want like a post up back to back kind of player yeah. mid range. I wasn't wanted to go with none of these other guys. Great enough. All right, you're next. Go ahead. Okay, I'm gonna go with uh, White to give him some perimeter defense. Oh, Derek White. Yeah. Derek White's gone. Okay. Oh, Harris. Gary Harris. Oh, this. I'll go with Gary Harris too. Just a matchup with White here. Okay, uh, then I'll take Nilsab next. Okay. I'm not looking too much about this, about, you know, in terms of matchups, but I'm just kind yeah. of just looking at, you know, who would I want in terms of, of just best players. Right, right. Okay, next, I will go with, I'm going to go Rudy Gay. Mm. That's who I was going to get next. So, because of that, uh, I think I'll go with Barton. I'm going to go with Malik Beasley next. Okay, I'll take Mills. Okay. Ooh, he got picked apart. Two of these guys. Uh, but I do trust. I'm going to go with Bryn Forbes here. Mm. Next. I'll take Bertons. Okay. Oh, Bailey, Ali, Perto, Craig, Morris. I'm going to go Monty Morris next. I really don't like Marco's defense. I've just kind of seen him and I'm <laughs> picking him. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'll take Bailey, Ali. Okay. Bailey, Ali, where you at? Okay. I will take... Uh, I'm gonna take the. I'm gonna take Plumley. Okay. I'll take Pearl. Okay. And I'll take. I'll, I'll finish off with Tory Craig. Okay. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of count up these. How many our teams have, and see kind of who who has more. So my team has, in terms of Spurs, it has one, two, three. My team has four Spurs and five Nuggets. Your team has four nuggets and five spurs. So, oh wow! So it's almost like just a dead even. Sorry, we didn't learn anything for that exercise. Yeah. I guess I will say I did. What, what did you think about that? Just four of my first five players were nuggets. So okay. we're talking about like <laughs> the the ones off the top. But but I, I kind of went into the mode of like, okay, I'm gonna pick Jokic because I think he could be the best player in the series, and then try to build around him. But yeah, I, I think uh, that that was a little bit concerning for me when uh, four of my first players ended up being Nugget starters. <laughs> yeah, so, so you see there? Now, here's what I, I think. I think that in terms of guys who can really have, have an impact on the series, I think there's five specific ones. Mm-hmm. And I think that you got the last guy. It was It's DeRozan, it's Aldridge, it's not in any order, but DeRozan, Aldridge, Jokic, Murray, and I think Derek White. And again, 
how does Derek White fare though? Does he rise to that occasion? And does he play like that version of Derek White where we've seen where he has you know fifteen to twenty point games with you know five to ten assists, or is he just that guy like his stats say nine points, you know four assists kind of game, just very conservative type of approach? So I really feel like. Derek, now that just reading that, I mean, Derek can be like the real X factor of yeah. the series in terms of does he make that progression or does he he step up his game? Um, so yeah, that was, that, was a little, that was a fun exercise. I guess first guest listeners, if you want to make try that on your own, that was, that was pretty cool. I mean, Colin did. You know, obviously, I came out with four Spurs that I liked, and it's pretty bad at the end of the bench. You know, we were really I think that defense is really huge on both of our brains because we don't want to take a lot of these guys, these shooters just yeah. because of the fact that they don't play defense um, on the back end there. So, you know, it was just a fun exercise that we did. It just kind of just, I wanted to see, you know, you know, who has, like, the most talent on these two teams. And obviously we see that, you know, honestly, five and four means that they're kind of, like, just, you know, very, very uh, similar. You know, there's yeah. not really, and that's, again, why this is, if this if the Spurs do pull off this upset, it will not be shocking to the NBA. Yeah. Because, again, this is almost like, you know, everything, statistically, they match up very well. The off, you know, they're not not one team's a great offense. I mean, they're both great offenses, but not one team's a great defense. You know, there's nobody's really sticking out defensively. Uh, both of their both of their four stars aren't really, you know, they don't really take his next level. If we even think about it, Jokic will probably be the only one right now, as far as I'm listening to different national media outlets, that might even make the All NBA team out of this entire series. It doesn't look right now. So some writers like Aldridge, some don't. So nobody's really mentioned DeRozan at all. Uh, Murray's not getting any kind of uh, any kind of All NBA nomination, so really there might be, be just one All NBA player in this series, and that might just be Jokic. So that's really what it comes down to. This is a very even team, and obviously the Nuggets have the, the edge right now because they are the home court team, um, and they just played. You know, statistically they've been a little bit better, but but you know it really it's really hard to call this series. And kind of that's my last thoughts. I know we're going to get into closing here. Is that you know Michael Deleone, um, our editor over at Project Spurs, you know. Uh, he had sent us our, our playoff prediction um, time to, to give our predictions for this matchup. And, and you and I both agree that we don't want to reveal our predictions right now just because we do want to go back into the film and watch a little bit more detailed film before presenting those. Because, like, really, like, like right now, I'm really, like, just like if just right now, just based on these numbers, I would still go Nuggets in seven. And only, again, just because of the fact that I don't trust the Spurs on defense on the road and I, and I really don't trust their defense overall. You know, they, they show up sometimes, but they're not always there. So, so more so just on... On a safe pick, I would say Nuggets for now at seven, but that's not my final pick. I'll, I'll be giving that up before Saturday, and you, you will too, Colin, probably. Uh, what are your thoughts right now, just you know, closing off before yeah. this series gets started Saturday? So I, th- I think there's a good chance it'll be a long series, and mm-hmm. I, I think that it's interesting how, you know, when you're in a series, it kind of all blends together, but you look back on series over time. And then you have, you know, a lot of Spurs fans who watch mainly the Spurs and they might not know bunch about Denver they might have heard Jokic a lot so so one of the weird things that I always think about is like who are the players that Spurs fans are going to come to dread over the course of the next two weeks like who are the players that they might not know much Malik about? Beasley trust me that's, that's <laughs> the guy even Morris I think is going to be a guy that they're going to hate well I think I think Murray Jamal Murray like Jamal Murray, Spurs yeah. fans are going to I mean not because he's dirty or anything but just because yeah. of how how skilled he is on offense I think that a lot of Spurs fans might not know who Jamal Murray is or what his skill set is. And I think by the end of this, they're going to be hating. I mean, he was the big reason why they came within one point against the Spurs uh, at the beginning of March when the Spurs yeah. had a huge lead and they brought it back. You know, that's just the type of player he is. And I think by the end of this, uh, Spurs fans are going to be thinking when he has the ball shooting for three, like, not this guy again. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's the thing too, is if he start, he takes five, almost five a game and, and, if, and he's making, what did I say, 37%. I mean, that's a good percentage. And again, he may he may make Pop have to readjust his defense with that above the break three when he comes off the screen and the Spurs do kind of give that shot up. So, you know, this will be a really fun series to watch. I was so happy that they didn't draw the Warriors because I was retired of that matchup mm-hmm. and I already knew who I was picking in that one if yeah. that was the matchup. And, <laughs> and again, five, you know? like we said, like Colin and I said, if the Spurs can get past these guys and the Nuggets, they 
have a chance to you know make it pretty far, especially getting to round two. You know, there's not. It's almost like even teams again there too. There's not really one team that specifically stands out in that next matchup. Should uh, should they advance? So so obviously, um, thank you, Spurscast listeners, for, for listening to this episode um, 536. Uh, follow Colin on Twitter. His Twitter account is at Colin Reed PS. Uh, keep checking Project Spurs. You know that the playoffs are coming now, so we'll be having you know different kind of pieces after every uh, game. Um, a lot of different content. Um, yeah, so look for that. Uh, on this, on these stats that me and Colin use, I know that a lot of them, we just read numbers and stuff. So what I'll do, Spurscast listeners, if those of you that are interested, I'll put these, all these stats in my in the Spurscast, um, this episode, the page for it. So when, so when you look for it on ProjectSpurs.com, just look for the Spurscast episode 536. Uh, and then when you click on that link, uh, just open it, and I'll have all these stats kind of built in there just so that you all can see, because I know it's a fun exercise to kind of look at a lot of these numbers that, that we dug up for, for Spurs Nuggets. So... Uh, Game 1 tips off on Saturday. We will see what happens. For Colin Reed, I am Paul Garcia. Thank you and have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.